Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Amen. Good morning, everyone. So wonderful to see you all. Thank you all for, uh, for being here, and thank you so much for everyone's participation in the service thus far. Thank you so much for your support. Um, we're entering into our, a wonderful Christmas season. I hope that we're all able to enjoy it and spend time with family and, and just enjoy the, um, the season of family. And, and hopefully, you know, we'll have a white Christmas this year. I'm not sure right now. I haven't looked at the forecast, but uh, Lord willing, we'll experience that. Um, our sermons, our next couple sermons for this month will revolve around uh, our Christmas season that we're we're in, uh, so starting today. Let's go ahead and pray, and we will get into our sermon for this morning. Kind Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. Thank you so much for your grace, your mercy, your love. Thank you for your word, and thank you so much for Jesus, who is the reason for this season. And as we consider scripture this morning, we pray that you would guide us, that you would lead us, that your Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth as you promised that you would. Please draw us closer to you in some meaningful way. Fill us with your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of the sermon is The Engagement. Whenever I do a rough draft of a sermon, I just kind of throw a title up there and uh, usually refine that title. So I'm not sure if I like the title. Um, I just copied and pasted and turned everything in to, uh, to Emma this past week, and then I thought about it later, and I'm like, I never revisited that title. And so we'll see how things pan out for us. Um, in a Jewish or Hebrew wedding, there are three distinct phases of their, their matrimonial ceremony. Uh, it begins with a prospective groom's parents or father predominantly pursuing or selecting uh, a prospective bride, and he's going to the father, parents of this bride. And so they're, they're kind of arranging things uh, from a legal perspective. Um, you can think of, uh, think of Abraham sending his servant back to his homeland, and they're looking for a prospective bride. And in that situation, it was slightly different than what it had evolved to by the time Jesus came along. But you can recall when Abraham sent his servant back to his homeland, he goes, they're looking for a prospective bride. This servant is praying all the way through this process. He's asking for specific signs. He's saying, Lord, if, a, if a young, the young maiden comes and she does this and this and she waters the camels and she does this and she does that, then I'll know she's the one that you've selected for Isaac. So they're very much seeking God throughout this process. And uh, so they're looking for character attributes. In this case, 
Uh, he was looking for somebody who was selfless. He's looking for somebody who's willing to accept a stranger. Is this person reflecting our culture? Is she somebody who's going to carry on these attributes and instill them into the next generation of children? You have to understand, in these arranged marriages, they were not concerned about romance. <laughs> they were not concerned about love was not first. It was preservation of the culture. It was preservation of the law of God. It was, is this woman coming from a good family in good standing in the community? Is she going to carry on those attributes and train the next generation of children in the way that they should go? They were very much concerned about the collective. They were concerned about preserving the law of God, preserving that in the lineage. They were concerned about, obviously, they wouldn't think Whenever they did think about, oh, let's go out and marry other nations, automatically, within a few generations, they were worshiping idols and they were um, going into captivity and Israel was in a time of, uh, in, a bad, in a bad time. Whenever they were taken into captivity, it was a form of punishment. And then once they turned their lives back over to God, then they could go back to their homeland. And so... By the time Jesus is coming along, there's three di- very distinct phases of the matrimonial process. So the, the prospective father, parents of the groom have made an arrangement with um, another family okay, for uh, um, a bride. And even in the, you think of in the time of Rebecca, Rebecca had a choice. They asked her, Do you, will you go with this man? And she must have had the peace of God or the presence of God in her life. And she said, I'll go. So it wasn't like it was just, you will do this, you won't do that. You know, it was, there was still, there was mutual agreement on all sides. But it was a prearranged legal agreement. And by the time we get to Jesus, there is this betrothal process. There's an arranged marriage. And so when they make the agreement, all parties have agreed, they're considered married. They are betrothed. It is an agreement. They're espoused to one another. However, there is a year of purity. There is a year where the family stands back and says, making sure she's not pregnant, she doesn't have, she's not sleeping around, she's not, they're not, neither party is doing the wrong things. There's a year of waiting to see how this will pan out, okay? So the year there by the time we come to this phase with Mary and Joseph they're in that year of purity and so they're maintaining their fidelity to one another they're maintaining their commitment to one another the the bride she's at home she's preparing her wedding garments which are traditionally white which is a reflection of that purity she's maintaining her commitment to her spouse the husband or the bridegroom he is going back to prepare a place for he and his new wife to stay. And it was always just, in that time, an addition onto the father's house. And so um, it was just an added room onto the father's house. And so that's why, um, you know, uh, you think of the time, this was, this was just ancient tradition. This was not just Jewish tradition. Um, as far as adding on to the father's house, adding rooms on. Because if you think of the time of Nebuchadnezzar in the Babylonian kingdom, um, in Daniel chapter 2, remember when he had summoned all of his wise men, and he said, you're going to tell me this dream that I dreamed, and if you don't, I'm going to make your house a dung heap. So what he was saying is, I am going to wipe out your entire family. 
It wasn't just your life on the line. It was, I am going to cut off your lineage. So it was a huge deal when he was making that claim that I'm going to make your house. That's your whole house. That's everybody in it. That's all the rooms. That's everybody. And obviously, you know, you would, I've thought of it before. I'm like, well, the houses would just keep growing and growing and growing. You'd have these massive structures. It's like, well, great, 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 great grandfathers, you know, they're, they're all dying. People are dying and people are coming in all along the way. So the house gets to a decent size and eventually people are just alternating rooms in the house. We very much see this reflection in Jesus' relationship with us. <clears throat> so anyway, their concern is the collective. Their concern is preserving the law of God, preserving the culture, preserving um, and making sure that that is carried on to the next generation. And obviously hoping that love and romance comes uh, in time. But that was not, um, it was not left up to the 18 to 22 year olds to make the decision. It was left up to the elders of society to make the decision because elders were still revered as having wisdom and they exercised that wisdom in a way that was respectable. Um, and so it was a trusted, it was an honor, uh, honored society in which they respected the elders of the society. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, let's continue on here. Go to Matthew chapter 1, where our scripture reading was. Matthew chapter 1, we'll read in, uh, we'll start in 18, and we'll read through this text together. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make a public example, make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. So Mary, as she is preparing her wedding garments, another thing I forgot to mention, as she's preparing her wedding garments, also the job of the bride was to make sure her lamps, she had lamps in her room that were kept full of oil and trimmed because the, when the bridegroom would come, many times as a part of the fun of the celebration, they would come at night. So there was midnight cry would go out, there would be lots of noise in the streets, or the, the, the groom would have his entourage coming to whisk his bride away in the night. And so part of her job also is keeping oil in her lamp so she's ready, her garment is ready, she's ready to go at all times. That's part of the bride's job is to be ready. So she's maintaining purity, but she's also keeping her lamps all trimmed and burning. That's why we sing those songs, because as uh, the bride of Christ, we're waiting for him. He said he's going to prepare a place for us, this, this, this reflection of the Jewish wedding is what Jesus uses many times to talk about us and his relationship to us. So she's keeping her lamps all trimmed and burning, full of oil, so that she's always ready for when her bridegroom, when her groom comes. Unfortunately, not unfortunately, I mean, it's, it's, it's a strange thing because socially it's unfortunate. Obviously, fortunately for the world, Jesus came, Okay. And he came right on time. So here she is, they're in this, and she's found with child. Verse 19. 
Luke actually outlines this a lot more for us. We'll talk about Luke next, um, next, our next time together. <clears throat> so here she is, verse 19. Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. So he was being a just, he was, he was not wanting to make a public example of her because he could have. It was very possible for them to drag her out into the streets and, and collectively, as a town, stone her to death. Um, and so, unfortunately, um, that was part of it. But he didn't want to do that. I, I guess, you know, obviously she was selected as somebody who they thought would be a good wife, a good person, a good, uh, a pure person who was going to be a good asset to the family, who was going to carry on the law of God and teach these things. Um, there's a necessity in this year of waiting and being faithful to the groom, a necessity in being faithful to uh, the the man, the the espoused person who's coming to get her. In our case, you know, um, we see the symbolism of this Jewish marriage process, the bride keeping herself pure throughout all that time. However, in our case, we need the pure white raiment of Jesus Christ. We need his covering. And so we are, the Bible tells us that everyone who has this hope in him coming to get us purifies himself even as he is pure. And so we're maintaining a relationship with Jesus. I'm kind of just doing the shadows and and outlining those as we go through this. So in this purification process, we're maintaining our fidelity, we're maintaining our commitment, our integrity to the commitment we've made to Jesus Christ. He's committed to us, he's coming back for us, he's promised that he would, and we as his bride are maintaining our commitment to him. And we're maintaining a relationship with him. We're maintaining uh, a reflection of him. Are we, are, does our life reflect that commitment is kind of where we are in this process. And so as a prospective bride in the Hebrew culture, she's maintaining her commitment to her husband. And she's showing that commitment by not sleeping around with other people, by, not, by maintaining pure, maintaining purity. Let's continue reading through our text. So verse 20 is where we are. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to, take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets, saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and that shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Uh, Matthew is very much, he's, he's a Jewish writer, he's one of the apostles, he's writing to a Jewish audience, okay? His goal, when you read through the book of Matthew, over and over again, as he's going through, he's always going to say, 
this happened, Jesus did this so that the scripture might be fulfilled. So he is trying to prove to his audience that Jesus is the guy. He's the one that we've been waiting for. And so this miraculous birth, uh, and it's, highlight, it's fleshed out more so in Luke, chap, in Luke, where the angel of the Lord is coming to Mary, speaking to her, telling she and Joseph all these things, that you guys, you, Mary, are the fulfillment of this prophecy. Now, I don't know about you. I cannot, I, it's a torn, it would be a very torn feeling, I would imagine, because I can't imagine being, the, so many young Jewish women all through the centuries would have hoped to have been that, that woman, to have been that person, to carry the Son of God. They knew he was coming. And I can only imagine as Mary is experiencing this and she's hearing these words, she knows that that's a fulfillment of the, of the scripture. She know, they know this prophecy. They know very well what Isaiah had prophesied. And they knew that he would be born at a set time. Um, Daniel told us the exact time frame that he would be born. And he told us, uh, and Micah told us where he would be born. And Isaiah told us that it would be a miraculous birth. And so here she is, she's the fulfillment of that. I can't imagine what that would feel like to be reading ancient scriptures from a, you know, five, six, seven hundred, eight hundred, a thousand years before my life and realizing through this angelic being telling me that you're the fulfillment of that scripture. <clears throat> However, as we've just read, we'll go back up a little bit. This is a very shameful thing. So she's got to deal with the culture around her where people treated her one way one day and now she's being treated and shunned as if she's not worth talking to anymore. And so it's a very shameful thing. I'm sure she was a well-respected person in society up until that point in time. That's why they thought, hey, this will be a good match. I'm sure she was a good, godly young person because God chose her as the one to carry the Son of God. So you know she was a very well-loved and respected person in her family and in her community. Then for this to happen this way would be very, it would be, you would be very torn because you're so excited about the fulfillment that the Messiah is coming, he's here, and you get to be the one to give birth to that Messiah, but you have to deal with all the people around you who are like, yeah, no, that's not how this works. <laughs> so you got to deal with all that. You got to deal with all the social stigma. It's a totally different world than it was today. For us, it's commonplace, but for them, it was not. This was a very shameful thing for them. And um, she being chosen by the family shows that she was a virtuous person. And also she being chosen by God shows that she was a virtuous person. So this would have been a hard thing, I'm sure, for her to deal with at that time, being a young person. It's also not only shameful for her, it's very shameful for the groom's family as well. It's shameful for them to have to deal with that. Joseph himself is thinking, how am I going to deal with this? What am I supposed to do? I have the right, I have the ability to make this a very public, shameful thing. But he was a just man. 
the Bible says, he wanted to be faithful to the covenant. And so it said he was just going to divorce her quietly. He wasn't going to make her a public spectacle, dragging her out in the streets. But then as he's considering these things, the same angel who came to Mary and told her the story is telling him the same thing, that don't be afraid, this child is a fulfillment. This child is the one you've been waiting for. This child is going to save your people, you and your people, from their sins. Don't be afraid to take her as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bring forth a son. You will call his name Jesus. Uh, In Hebrew, it's actually like... uh, it would be something like Yahshua, or yeah, it's, it's, it's Joshua, which means God saves. Um, and so it's, when it got translated into Greek, it took a different turn for some reason, and we have the Greek to, to German to English um, is how, why we have it that way. But Yah, God, Shua saves. God saves his people from their sins. So this is God's promise to us that he is going to save us. All right, and, and um, Matthew, again, as I said before, he's highlighting, he's pointing out the scripture that this young woman, this virgin shall conceive. So it's a miraculous situation. Um, <clears throat> because Matthew wants his audience to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one who was to come. Let's keep going. Um, so this is a very bizarre set of circumstances for them they're very uh you know don't know what to make of it obviously the two in in direct communion with each other or the the two who are directly involved the husband the wife have been spoken to by an angel um and it says in verse 24 then joseph being aroused from sleep did as the angel of the lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son and she called and he called his name jesus matthew is very much coming from the patriarchal role luke we're going to find out is highlighting the the how how shall i say um He's highlighting Mary's side of the story. So we're going we're gonna to touch on both. Um, whereas Matthew's coming through the lineage, he even highlights the lineage. As he goes through the lineage of, of Jesus, he's highlighting the lineage of Joseph. So he's coming through and showing how Jesus is a son of David, a son of Abraham, a son of whoever, through the lineage of Joseph. L- Luke's is, is going through um, the Mary side. So there's two different stories highlighting um, similar things. Um, throughout the centuries, God had been giving tidbits about who the Messiah would be, when he would come, where he would come, how he would be born, the nature of his birth. But God had been silent for a few hundred years up until this point in time. Uh, it was four to six hundred years. They hadn't really heard anything. The last thing they had heard was through the prophet Micah that he would be born in Bethlehem. That's really all that they had had for several hundred years. So I'm sure that around this time, people's minds are kind of growing. You imagine after a few hundred years, like, well, this, I guess this just isn't really happening. Um, you can imagine they've been listening to this story for a couple, a few thousand years at that point in time. God's going to send a redeemer. 
That's all that they knew, that God would do it eventually. Um, but I can imagine, I'm a, being a human being, we know what that feels like. If it doesn't happen in our lifetime, or if it's not happening in my life, well, I guess it's just, it's just not happening because we think the world just centers around us. And if it's not happening for me, then I guess it's just not happening. But the Word of God cannot fail. It doesn't matter how much time goes by. It's just a matter of time as to when it will happen. God's Word can't fail. He can't lie. And so eventually it happens. And Jesus comes right on time, uh, according to, if you think about it, in time with the prophetic voice that came through Daniel. Um. I've thought of this, you know, uh, at different times, wondering why they had to face the public. You know, obviously, if they had already been married, it wouldn't have been considered a miracle, right? So during that year of purity. But I think there's another reason, too, why she had to experience the pregnancy prior. And it's because when the bridegroom came for her, she had the Son of God in her. And you and I, when the bridegroom comes for us, we need to have the Spirit of God in us. We need to have the Son of God, the Spirit of Jesus in us already, ahead of time. Not not in that moment. We need to keep our lamps all trimmed and burning, which is representative of the Holy Spirit. We need to have the Spirit of God in us, ready, waiting, and we need to have the Spirit of God because, and I think that that is further helping us understand or illustrate through her experience that when the time came for the wedding, she already had to have the Son of God within her. In the church, if we expect to experience translation when Jesus comes, we too have to have the Son of God within us for when he comes and we need to have the spirit of god keeping our lamps all trimmed and burning in preparation for that that purity that year of purity that time of purity in which the holy spirit is convicting us and purifying us and cleansing us and we're responding to the spirit of god working in our lives i love the the mirrors, or I love the shadows of how God orchestrated all these things and how these things pertain to us. <clears throat> we too have to have the Spirit of God within us. We are in a time of waiting. We have a prospective bridegroom who has extended a wedding invitation to us. We are all in this time of waiting. Jesus has already told us in John chapter 14, he says, I am going away. I am going to prepare a place for you in my father's house. He says, if I go, I will come again and receive you to myself. That was 2,000 years ago. And just like when people were waiting for him the first time, they were growing tired of waiting People now, the Bible tells us that scoffers will come at the end of time saying, where is the promise of his coming? These are the words that 
we all hear that we've all probably experienced the feeling, well, maybe he's just not going to come. It doesn't matter. Time, time has no bearing on, on whether or not Jesus is actually coming or not. I could die. I could live, you know, I'll live out my years, however many years they are, preaching that Jesus is coming, and I'm still right. Even if I die and I'm gone, right? I'm still correct, okay? It doesn't matter. I wasn't wrong because I was preaching what the Word of God says. And he, the Word will come to pass just like it did for the first coming. It's going to happen the second coming. We have the privilege of hindsight, We have the privilege of knowing that everything happened as God said that it would. They were just, they're just waiting. They're just expecting and hoping by faith that what God said would happen, would happen. We we know that Jesus was a historical figure. We know from history. It's not just a biblical thing that we believe he lived and walked on the planet. That the entire world was changed by one 33 and a half year old man. The world, human history changed because of one person. And I believe that, that with it, given his age, given his, all that has a, happened as a result of his life is nothing short of divine. You cannot in 33 and a half year, years, completely tra- change the trajectory and the, in the, in the um, change humanity without that being of God. Jesus told us he's going to his Father's house to prepare a place for us. We're in the time of waiting. We're responding to the Holy Spirit's purifying influence in our lives. This is why we have the parables of the ten virgins in the Bible. Five of them were wise. Five of them were foolish. Five of them were preparing diligently, keeping their lamps trimmed, keeping their oil full. They were ready. They were waiting. They had a day-to-day walk. In our, if you think about it in our context, they had, they had a day-to-day walk with Jesus. They had the Spirit of God in them. And they were preparing. They were responding to what the Spirit of God convicted them to do in their lives. And as they responded, they reflected his character more fully. Five of them were, were thinking that they had lots of time, or five of them were thinking it wasn't that important, or five of them were thinking, oh, it's just a cultural thing. I go to church, I do whatever, but it has no impact on my life. Okay, we, don't want to, we want this purifying influence to have an impact in every area of our lives, in our workplace, in our home. We want to reflect Jesus and so, so that it is seen that we are committed to him as our bridegroom. We are committed to our relationship with him. We're committed to reflecting his character in our lives. We're committed to being an example of Jesus Christ in, this, in our sphere around us. We're committed to his, his purifying, sanctifying influence in our lives, and we're depending on him. We're depending on our groom. We're t- depending on the bridegroom and his ability and not on my own. We're depending on Jesus, and we're showing our commitment to him. This oil is representative of the Holy Spirit and us responding to Him when He's working in our lives. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit by not listening to Him when He convicts us of the things that we need to, of Him showing us things in our lives. And that's the thing. It's not us doing the work. 
God works in his own perfect time. If you're maintaining a relationship with Jesus, okay, you're maintaining that day-to-day walk. Uh, you, just like you maintain a relationship with anybody else in your life. You talk to them. You get to know them. Um, our rela- Jesus is a person. Please don't forget that. Jesus is a person. So we get to know him. He reveals who he is through his word. And we talk to him every day. And when we, he reveals who he is through his word, and the Holy Spirit convicts us about gossip, the Holy Spirit convicts us, hey, you, you're, God doesn't lie, and you're doing this and you're doing that when you have opportunities. Then you say, Lord, you know what? You're right. Humbly coming to God. God can't work if we're with us if we think there's nothing wrong with us because that's a proud spirit. And so when we experience a convicting influence, we're saying, Lord, you know what, you're right, but I need you to transform me into this what you want me to be. I'm depending on him. I'm not depending on myself. If I just try really hard, it's not going to work, okay? I can't manufacture love. If I've got a problem with somebody in my life and, you know, God is telling me to to extend love to them, I can't do that in and of myself. I have to have God transform my life so that I can do that. Conviction is a very good thing. It shows that God is trying to work in your life and you need to simply yield to that convicting influence. That's his purification process. It's a good thing. It's unpleasant. It doesn't feel good, but it's a very good thing. Okay? It shows that God is still working with you and he wants you to be in his kingdom. That's his desire. So in our Christmas season, as we're spending time with family, as we're spending time with friends, we're exchanging gifts, we're enjoying each other's company. We need to be mindful, just reminding ourselves that the Christmas season is about Jesus. A Savior came. He came right on time. But, yeah, he came 2,000 years ago. But what kind of an impact is he having on your life today? Is he having an impact in your life today? Are you allowing him to have an impact on your life today? To do his work, to allow his purifying. We're in this purification time. That's where we're at. That's where you're at in your life. Are you allowing him to have his purifying and sanctifying influence in your life? Are you staying faithful to your commitment to him? Commitments have been made. He's made a commitment. I'm going to be faithful to those who want to be faithful to me. I will help you. There are prayers that we can pray that are always yes. So when we pray anything according to the will of God, Paul says the will of God is your sanctification. So if you're praying, Lord, help me to overcome X, Y, Z thing in my life. Lord, help me with this area of my life. Transform who I am. Help me to be like you. That answer is always yes. And he promises to work in our lives and to help us as a very present help in time of need. Are you staying faithful to your commitment to him? Does your life reflect that commitment? If it doesn't, then we just, we simply, if it does not, then we simply need to recommit ourselves and ask the Lord to work in our lives, to work in our hearts, to work in our minds to continue doing his work, to, to going through the process. Is it your desire to be faithful to your Lord and Savior today? If that's your desire, I invite you to pray with me just now as we close. 
Kind Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the illustrations that we find in your word. Thank you so much, Lord, that exactly as you said it would happen, Jesus came. And Lord, we're so thankful for you not giving up on us, for your faithfulness to us, for you sending your Son, Lord, to be God with us. But Lord, right, we, in our present time, in our stage of the purification time, as a, a time of waiting, Lord, we're praying for your sanctifying influence in our lives. We're praying for Jesus to do the work that he promised he would do. And Lord, help us to understand. Help us to be responsive. Help us to be faithful, Lord, to to the commitment that we've made to you as our Lord and as our Savior. We thank you so much for your grace. Please continue to be with us as we go uh, throughout the remainder of our Sabbath together. And we just pray, Lord Jesus, for your will to be accomplished in each of our lives. Help us to be more like you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.